0: Hello friends, Jazza here. Rowan is still out for now, so we have another wonderful guest host this week, David Levitt, who is going to be joining us. Thank you very much for your understanding and your patience. And now, without further ado, on with the episode. Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema, one
1: glorious genre at a time. I'm David Levitz. And I'm Jazza John. Each episode, we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode genre is, we say this bit together, queer teen musicals.
0: Yeah, we're doing two musical episodes really close together. That's just a sign of the caliber of my friends that I have, unfortunately. I'm not apologising for it. This episode, I'm joined by David Levitt. Hello, David. You're a struggling vocalist, a washed-up YouTube creator, and a... Failed uh, actor? Failed actor, yes, thank you so much. Yeah, um, any welcome. other descriptions that you would like me to use to introduce you to our audience?
1: Oh, God. Fashion flop. Oh, yeah. yeah lazy. Mm hmm. N- Tired queer. Yeah, tired queen, honestly. Davida Loco's time was very short on this earth and we're happy about it. Davida Loco is a very big callback. I wouldn't
0: bother Googling it, to be honest. David, thank you so much for joining. You chose this movie. It's your fault. What does it mean to you? Why did you choose it? Why did you think it would be an appropriate one for the podcast?
1: Yeah, why this movie at this time? Why why this? Why now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, this year marks the 20th anniversary of Camp the movie. Uh, Not the concept. Exactly. (laughs) And for me personally, this movie captures the feeling of being in youth theater, especially Mm -hmm. these summer camp programs where it's a refuge for musical theater nerds, Mm -hmm. thespians alike. And I really love it. There's some fierce belting and there's some heart as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much
0: for being here. Thank you so much for bringing this to me. I have thoughts and I can't wait to talk about it. But before we catch a glance of a mid midriff while we're just reading, what's the gayest thing you've done recently?
1: The gayest thing I've done recently? Mm-hmm. I would suppose, okay, so Thursday I saw Spamalot in previews, the revival. Are you familiar? Yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar. (laughs) So initiating a standing ovation for Leslie Kritzer after her rendition of Whatever Happened to My Part at Spamalot previews, I would say is probably the gayest thing I did this week.
0: Cool, amazing. I understood maybe 30% of the words that you just said. I'll just nod and smile well then you're ready to review camp yeah 100 the gayest thing can i just say to the audience david was like in the review that you in the plot notes that you posted there's no like songs that you've noted that have been included in the run of the movie and i'm like oh yeah that's important sometimes. So David has come here a lot more prepared than I am to talk about the actual musical side of things. Oh um, no,
1: expectations too high. Uh, it's, it's fine. They're I, high. I watched half the movie. I don't know anything about any of the references or the songs.
0: <laughs> Great. We're go- this, that's more prepared than we usually are for most episodes, to be fair. So you're now meant to ask me what the gayest thing is that I've done.
1: Jazza, what is the gayest thing that you've done lately?
0: So I'm a business gay, so I'm like professionally queer. They pay me to do gay shit. Wonderful, what a joy, and it's not even OnlyFans. I went to a gala the other night and I was sat on the table next to Dominique Jackson. She's very tall. We went to the toilets at the same time and she is about, in heels, she's about a foot and a half taller than me, is what it felt like anyway. Did I say anything to her? Of course I fucking didn't. What did I, what am I going to say? Read me, mummy. Step on me. I don't know. Um, But just being in her presence, I feel like upped my queer points significantly.
1: That's pretty incredible. Thank you so
0: much. Also, spam a lot to me is the straightest thing that you could possibly say. Except for say, Lady of the Lake, sure,
1: sure, you okay. spend the entire time waiting for Lady of the Lake to come on stage in a new look. I found out that the SAG strike was over from Leslie Kritzer live in the theater mm-hmm. because it happened at eight thirty, and at eight thirty-five she comes on for an ad lib, and she said the strike is over, and the whole theater erupted. Amazing,
0: beautiful. In this episode, we'll first be talking about the significance of growing up as a theatre kid. This is not my wheelhouse. This is not an experience I've had. So I've brought in a true expert and that's where David is going to tell me that these places actually exist. We'll then be splitting the film into three acts for your convenient consumption as always. And of course, including the party and its aftermath. I am going to have to crowbar it into the performance and its aftermath if you'll forgive me for that. Before giving the movie a score using the rainbow flag as we always do. We're going to be spoiling all of this movie So this is for people who have seen it in the last 20 years, you've had a chance, or don't care about the movie being spoiled. Also, hot tip, you can either spend like $8 to buy it on like Amazon, on one of the obscure subsidiaries that it has, or you can just watch it for free on YouTube. So, do as you will. In 360p. In 360, I thought it was glorious, you know. It's probably what it got broadcast in in 2003 when it came out though, to be fair. Without further ado, let's suck down that chicken breast smoothie and watch camp. Oh my god, these things actually exist. You mean to tell me there are actually these summer camps for theatre kids where like do you have turnovers of like a performance every 2 weeks in the same way that these kids in the show did
1: yes tell me so, about yeah. this is
0: what you used to do i've never been to a summer camp in my life i've never done an, i've never done a musical in my life what was it like growing up in this kind of an environment
1: so to answer your question, yes, these exist. Actually, this movie was based on Todd Graff went to Stage mm-hmm. Door Manor, mm-hmm. which is you know one of the more famous. There have been books written about it, etc. So I would say this movie most closely follows Stage Door's two week turnaround for different productions, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I personally did not go to Stage Door. I went to a co- I went to Interlochen, oh, which course, is an yeah. arts mm-hmm. camp for more than just theater. They had a full orchestra program. They had visual arts all kinds of things and then later on there are pre college programs like Northwestern has one that I mm. went to called Cherubs Carnegie has one etc mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so yes and i as i said this movie i think really captures the energy of those camps, they're intense. Mm-hmm. The kids take them very seriously. Mm-hmm. They're often cast in roles that are highly inappropriate <laughs> for <laughs> the purpose of stretching them and their art and their skill. Sure,
0: I'm thinking immediately of the scene where we have um, two of the named black characters uh, playing Hasidic Jews, as an example. Of course, and White
1: Effie, on yes, the other hand. Yes, of course, White um, Effie. Oh, my which God. we'll get there. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But this is all to say, as shocking and camp as it is presented in this movie, it's not far from the truth.
0: Mm-hmm. For you, I think this movie tries to be have kind of like those uplisting storylines for some of its characters. I don't know how fulfilling it was for me as a viewer to with the way that it was represented, but I feel like, and I would imagine that being able to escape to these camps every summer would be a real foundational way of being able to kind of like think about yourself your queerness how you move through the world and all of those kinds of things i imagine it would give you a lot more confidence than maybe a queer kid who didn't have these kinds of opportunities is that the case what was it like to have that
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's exactly right, especially the bit about maintaining your confidence, having a place where you're taken as seriously as the work that you're putting in, Mm -hmm. because a lot of kids who are just doing theater at their high schools, maybe it's underfunded, maybe it's looked down upon by their surrounding classmates who are More into the sports or you know (laughs) the sports sports. (laughs) 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 or academics or whatever this is a place where everybody around them is just as obsessed with their art form as they are including the teachers and they're all taking it way too seriously which is just endearing and wonderful
0: why are there so many queer people who gravitate towards musicals as a medium do you think it's a big broad Silly question, really, but it's something that I've never really connected with in the same way that a lot of my queer friends have, you included. Why do you think that this is like a cliche for our community?
1: That is a big question. Yeah, I can, can, you, can you, you answer it, please? <laughs> I can tell you why I gravitate towards it. Let's start there. Yeah. I Well, so music and singing is such a primal thing. Whether mm-hmm. you're into musical theater, that's a whole niche, but there must be some genre of music or concert going that most of the general public are into. That's why pop music has been, you know, Mm -hmm. such a a transcendent cultural export. Musical theater, I think, uh, so you're asking why queer people specifically gravitate towards it? Mm -hmm. You still haven't really answered why you, why you gravitate towards it. That final thing? So, so, I mean, I love singing and I love the fantasy of characters (laughs) singing through their arcs and their journeys. Mm -hmm. And also just the pure skill of being able to watch a performer's medium and celebrate not just the character in the story, but also the performer live in the room who is accomplishing this Herculean mm. task before you. It's I would say it's like how maybe sp- fans of the sports would feel <laughs> watching like gymnastics or, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel, well,
0: I sometimes feel like that. I think I get that sometimes for the sports. Stand up maybe is like a version of that. I think it is for me one of the purest of the mediums of just like a human being and a microphone and being able to command that space is just that's magic like that's not something like Ch- that chatgpt Gen- ChatGPT or like GenAI would be able to create it feels like such a human experience and you take me to a lot of theater here which by the way keep doing it i really appreciate it you're welcome <laughs> thank-, uh, thank you And it's a very, very different thing to be like in a room breathing the same air as the people who are performing in front of you and having that to and fro. It's not a one way street in the same way that like going to the theatre is. And at least that's what I'm kind of like, as I get exposed more to like the theatre and the musical space, it's something that I'm kind of like getting more
1: wary of. I just don't think it's really, I just don't think it's my thing. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) To be honest, it's fine. And yeah, I think if there are theater experiences where you feel like it's a one-way street and you feel like you're being told to sit down, shut up, be Mm -hmm. in the dark and watch something happen in front of you for two and a half Mm -hmm. hours, for me personally, that's not a successful theater experience. Mm -hmm. It should feel like you're in a live room, there is that dialogue, and you as an audience member are an active participant in what's going on. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you may as well watch a movie. There was a lot of
0: toxic themes in this movie. So the cliche of the straight boy who sleeps around at the camp because he's the only straight boy there. People having unsupportive parents in these spaces. How much of that is rooted in truth for the kids who go to these things? How much did you experience it or see it?
1: Toxic straight guys in theater are a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And, Do you want to name any name? No, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me drag all of Cleveland. <laughs> um, and they are, so the way I love the way that Vlad is framed in this movie. Mm-hmm. I hadn't watched in a while, so re watching and paying attention to, you know, like the way that it's shot or the amount of close ups that he gets over the other mm-hmm. stars, he's really framed as this object of desire mm-hmm. for all of the students, boys and girls, mm-hmm. as well as like the teachers mm-hmm. who. You know, really... dot after him. They're like finally a straight,
0: a normal straight boy. I think is almost literally a verbatim quote.
1: It's real, mm-hmm. and maybe it's not as explicit as a teacher saying that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's heightened for the purpose of the film's tone. But once you know, especially in youth theater back then, twenty years ago, it. Yeah, I, I have experienced multiple different scenarios where mm-hmm. people may be cast as roles because more of a who they are in their personal life, Mm -hmm. rather than what they bring to the stage. And that's that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it could speak to the types of roles that are written and available for men in theater, and Mm -hmm. that's changing too. But
0: I also wanted to, before we dive into the plot, have a little chat about the fact that there was a thrashing attempt to create a sequel to camp. There was a GoFundMe in 2015 or so, and they were going to... uh, Like, there were articles in the journal about the research that was going into this from the original director. And it had uh, ended up not happening. I think that I feel like there was the suggestion that camp was kind of a spiritual... Well, it's very much it laid foundations for huge cultural phenomena like Glee and Pitch Perfect and those kinds of franchises. Why do you think, kind of like maybe managerial incompetence aside, yeah, I used incompetence, why do you think a Camp 2 maybe fizzled out?
1: You're making the assumption that it has fizzled out, Jazza. But as of the 20-year reunion Mm -hmm. video, they're apparently still trying to make it happen. (laughs) We have received spiritual successors Mm -hmm. Glee, High School Musical, Pitch Perfect. Now we have Theater Camp, which just came out this year, Mm -hmm. which shares, you know, the name, which is a choice given the comparison and quality. But that's another podcast for that movie. Mm -hmm. I think maybe the market is saturated. uh, Maybe the original creative team just who knows mm. I, I haven't kept up as much i didn't even know that there was a gofundme oh the yeah there's a gofundme
0: was... it's not it's it is on the archive it's not actually up anymore suffice suffice um
1: that's that's a bummer
0: yeah i would love to
1: see a camp too
0: so can i tell you a little bit of what the um plot was going to be oh please well so, should we,
1: do we have a reference for what the plot was for this movie to uh, compare it to
0: uh, well so I think that we you can understand it without having gone through the plot of the movie, but Camp 2 was going to be a load of... Ki- so Camp the movie exists in this universe, and they are at another real-world theater camp and are watching clips of Camp the 2003 movie so on YouTube. It's High School Musical, the musical,
1: the series. It, that's literally have, have you watched yeah. No, is that what ha- oh yes no. well high that's school musical which, <laughs> so that's probably why mm-hmm. that the exact concept in the high school musical the musical of the series universe high school musical the movie exists <clears throat> and they all go to the same high school and it sounds like somebody got wind of somebody else's idea i don't know who Ooh. but this Ooh. is a very small community Ooh. and maybe you're bringing some you're not up don't, some tea. I
0: don't I don't want to
1: wade into this community's drama. I Shots but, fired. Whoopsie daisy. Jazza said Todd Graf, you're a hack. And this is on the record. <laughs>
0: Hmm, do i
1: do i edit i mean the other choice is to throw shots at disney and say hey disney plus you're a hack i'm not going well with i'm not going up after disney they will take us
0: down anyway let's move swiftly on to actually reviewing the plot of camp one which was released in 2003 and directed by todd graff the hack so let's dive into it (laughs) you started this So we open up, you told me that the music is very important, and we open up with a very lovely song called How Shall I See You Through My Tears. Absolutely. It's very good. Sasha um, Allen. Uh, yes. Delivering. deliver Delivering. It. Yeah, it was a really good vocal.
1: Anything I should be aware of in this vocal, apart from it's nice. I mean, she's everything. I love <laughs> Sasha Allen. She went on to do the hair benefit. She went on to do a lot of uh, fantastic work. And I think that this is a great opener for the movie because Mm -hmm. we're quickly going to get into more camp, more levity. But this as an opening song and the visuals that accompany it with mm-hmm. Michael, you know, getting hate-crimed at his prom mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by the end, you know, post-bridge, where there's, you know, high-belting mm-hmm. to accompany the emotion. Mm-hmm. It demands that you take the movie seriously. It
0: feels like an actual opener to... It, it feels like Rent's opening, like the... <laughs> minutes. I don't know how many minutes are in that song, but it, it felt like a real mirror to that of, like, the like big belting number... And we're introduced to all of the characters as kind of like the opener of this. Yeah, with mm-hmm. a gospel spiritual flair. We did, <laughs> beautiful gospel spiritual flair. We have lovely, really handy, actually, iMovie text overlays and arrows for the introduction of each of the characters. It was necessary. I don't think I would have been able to find the likes of Vlad or Michael in the shot if they didn't have an arrow pointing directly to them, where they were the only person in the, in the frame. <laughs> um, but we are introduced to some of our main characters. Vlad, who is our token straight boy who's doing a motivational speech to himself in the mirror Ellen who is in the shower having some body Michael as you said getting hate-crimed at his prom dressed as a drag queen gets his ticket ripped up I assume for entry, it, I don't know how proms work.
1: Because they didn't like his hemline. Because
0: they didn't like... It was because of the hemline. It wasn't long enough for the skirt, obviously. Mm-hmm. Knees are immodest. And then we get introduced to a lot of the rest of the cast, which I didn't realise until I started watching, includes Anna Kendrick.
1: Her film debut.
0: Her film debut. And does steal the show. I think if we like look at the rest of the performance, she kind of has like a slow first act and then completely flips on a dime and becomes an absolute sociopath and i adore that journey for her and she clearly is very good at her job anna you're very good at your job (laughs) so we have this opening scene where everybody is lining up to get into camp anna kendrick's character and i am just going to call her anna because she's called fritz or something like that in the movie. Yeah, I know. Fritzy. We're just going to call her Anna. So Anna is a, one of the returning students and runs up to one of the characters, Jill, and says, oh, hey, it's lovely to see you. Jill's like, oh, nice to meet you. Are you new? And Anna goes, no, we bunked together last year.
1: No, 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 no. She says we did Nightmother together. Which, oh, Nightmother? Nightmother. No, of course I, don't I you. fucking don't. <laughs> the reason this joke is funny is because Nightmother is a two-person play. <laughs> so it's that ridiculous is that you would not remember your co-star in mm-hmm. a two-person play, and also the fact that Night Mother is entirely inappropriate for high schoolers at a summer camp, because mm-hmm. of the entire play, trigger warning, is like a daughter in her 40s telling her mother, who's, you know, in her 60s or 70s, that she's going to commit she is going to
0: unalive herself. Yes, exactly. I think is what
1: we say in the age of TikTok. It's in real time. It's like sixty to ninety minutes of her just preparing her mother for that eventuality, and then at the end she does it.
0: I feel like there's going to be a lot of these references that I will have completely gone over my head. So please do pepper them in as and when I miss them. We're introduced to another character who is important. I think kind of the one who has her jaw wired shut because she was meant to be going to fat camp over the summer rather than here and. Her parents allowed her to come to theatre camp if she got her jaw wired shut. She's the one who drinks a, a chicken breast smoothie later on.
1: Yes, and they did actually used to do this. It wasn't up until 2003. It was like 70s and 80s. But, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah. And as we know, this is a documentary. This is very of its time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. This movie. A lot of the, the, the fat phobic stuff comes out and I th- and I would be watch it, sitting there watching it and then be like, oh, this is a space for a laugh. And I would, I, to be fair, I would have laughed in 2003. I watched Little Britain and I thought it was hilarious at the time. And I, I think it has aged quite poorly now, especially the way that some of the larger characters are treated. But basically, we have a big reunion with what I assume your social group looked like in camp. It was all of the she's, the gays, the they's.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Was it the same kind of people coming back every time? So I wasn't a recurring camp attendee. I didn't okay. have that privilege. I kind of was a one and done for a couple of things. I went to my local camp and those were the same kids every year. Mm-hmm. But the sleepaway experience is, is different because you're like bunking together. Mm-hmm. It's socially, it's a lot uh, different in terms of the bond. And also you go through the whole school year not seeing one another. Mm-hmm. I heard about that experience, but I wasn't fortunate enough to be a recurring traveling camp mm-hmm. uh, attendee.
0: Vlad walks in, is bunking with the Gays and Mays including Michael, we are shown by the graphic choices that Vlad is hot. Everybody is dotting after him. Ellen is in the room and they're all like, oh, we need to figure out whether he's straight or gay or not. And he is coded as straight because he brings out a basketball and puts it on the bedside table.
1: Well, you missed the first. So, first he brings a picture of Stephen Sondheim.
0: Oh, of course. And then
1: they think he's Mm gay. And then he brings out the basketball.
0: Uh, Stephen Sondheim, who is actually also in this movie. Oh, yes. They somehow managed to get Stephen Sondheim to just kind of, like, rock up at the end. No speaking part, so
1: he's just got a normal kind of extra base rate. He um, has a line or two. I, does he? Yes. Does yeah. he say? Um, do we want he... to wait until act three to talk about his cameo or are we just going to like let the cat out of the bag? Let's now? Ca- let the cat out of the bag okay, now. Okay, so Steven Sondheim not only made a guest appearance, this is his only film appearance except for like a small Zoom cameo and some other and his voice mm-hmm. for Tick, Tick, Boom. But mm-hmm. on screen, you know, giving a line, this is his only film appearance.
0: No, really? Truly. Wow.
1: He did not like sing himself on camera. Uh-huh. He not only was available, he let them use all of his catalog of music for free mm-hmm. royalty free Wow! which is why there's so much time mm-hmm. in, in the music and then he also camped in one of the cabins <laughs> he, he wanted to be close to set and like be with the crew and so he stayed in one of the cabins at the camp instead of the hotel that they had booked for him.
0: That's really sweet of him. Um,
1: R.I.P. R.I.P.
0: So we go straight into auditions with the attendees at the camp Everybody is blown away that there's a straight boy. Oh my god! And he gets a role in a dumpster with two of the other attendees. Is this a is this an
1: actual is this a play? Is, is this real? So, Midnight Sun is not a real play. Okay, it is based on you know Beckett. These absurdist plays mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm are hot from time to time <laughs> to varying degrees of success. But no, yeah, this is not a real play. This is the kind of thing that they would force campers to do though. Mm-hmm. Like how many productions of Waiting for Godot has a 14 year old done at their theater camp, you know? You're right. Um, uh, a very passionate director who really cares. An
0: incredibly passionate director who at one point calls Ellen a middle-class piece of shit. She doesn't understand any of the lines that she's saying. One of the other girl who's in there, who I, is that the Wired Jaw girl? <laughs> Maybe you should say her name what? No, 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 there's no need um, <laughs> Like, oh,
1: I, this, this film's treatment uh, Mistreatment of, of larger characters And you call her yeah, Wired Wired Girl Wired Girl Girl,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, her actual name I think you're projecting <laughs> 100%. um
1: Do you know her name? Her name Struggling is Struggling to look uh, up
0: Uh-huh <laughs> No, I see you. It's fine. So why? Jenna,
1: Jenna, Jenna. Uh So Jenna, obviously. I mean, I know um... Tiffany Taylor. That's the name that comes to mind when I (laughs) I think of her role. (laughs) Um,
0: Um... So Jenna also asks for a bathroom break, and she is told by this psychotic director to piss in the dumpster. And then Vlad stands up for Ellen and says, leave her alone. And kind of like we're, we're seeded a potential future romance between these two. How exciting. Michael and Vlad then later on have a little bit of pillow talk together. And this, I don't like any of the dynamic. I don't think I like a single one of the scenes between Vlad and Michael. In this scene particularly, and there are more that are worse. In this scene particularly, Vlad is basically trying to convince Michael to try out heterosexuality. And it makes me feel uncomfortable. Work. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you think about these two's, Michael and Vlad's dynamic?
1: Just this scene or?
0: Yeah, there's also like the bit where Vlad is like, oh yeah, you've got that ladding thing going on.
1: Yeah, I did note that. I mean, there is definitely racial insensitivity across this whole movie. It is of its time, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of that in these teen comedies at the time. Mm -hmm. I think as uncomfortable as the dynamic between Vlad and Michael makes me, it also reflects a very real thing that many queer youth have experienced not necessarily real in that it actually happened to them but maybe Mm -hmm. real in that they would fantasize about this kind of dynamic
0: Mm -hmm. so you're thinking that this is this is like a a Michael is falling for Vlad dynamic and they're getting kind of like closer and closer at the end of this scene actually Vlad calls Michael Mike
1: and he's like my god he called me Mike I mean is that not real I don't know if you ever had a straight boy crush or like well did you what was your relationship with straight men when realizing your sexuality? Oh, I was a pick me gay. I was like, oh, I'm not
0: like the other ones. Like, you can be cool with me. It's like totally fine. Yeah, we can, like, I I do sports.
1: Yeah. But you secretly like?
0: Oh, I definitely tried to talk to a load of the popular hot guys on MSN Messenger at the end of the school day and they'd all ignore me. That's right. a, that's, a, that's how it, it's the equivalent of this, I suppose.
1: Very universal experience. So mm-hmm. I think this captures something that at that time in particular was prevalent across gay teens especially those who were like in communities that were supportive enough where they weren't having michael's experience at the top of the movie every day Mm -hmm. but it was still 2003 Mm -hmm. and so they there were still certain coded behaviors where it was a gray area it's like Mm -hmm. you know and your options are limited how many out gay kids are there available to date so it makes me uncomfortable but part of that is because i recognize you know. Mm -hmm. was an experience that. Many That's of us
0: why had. in rural Essex, we all just started drinking really early and then inhibitions were super low. So there was a lot of experimentation. It was super fun. Work. Um we, well, there's
1: also, I, I mean, maybe we'll get to this later on, but we, what we find out about Vlad at the end, we'll save that.
0: <laughs> we can save that. It's not like we're jumping around in the plot here at all. We're introduced to Bert, who is a. Fe- He's do- had one musical hit and then has never released anything else, but everybody knows him as like a, oh, he's had this one. Everyone's really excited for him to be at the camp. He rocks up like a day or two late with shades and uh, smoking a cigarette, and it seems to be constantly drunk. Vlad's excited he's here, goes up and kind of like fanboys him a little bit and says that you're the reason that I got into musical theatre. Originally, it was because I wanted to be in the same space as a girl. But then I fell in love with the art form, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of that stuff.
1: How do you feel about Bert and this whole storyline, his arc, his like father, pseudo father-son relationship with Vlad? I don't
0: like that. I don't think that he deserves the redemption he gets at the end of the movie. I almost could have cut his character completely. I don't know what he necessarily brings here, apart from kind of being a foil When he comes in and says that none of you are really going to
1: amount to anything, you're just going to be waiters and waitresses. Well, how do you feel about him? I I found myself zoning out any time that he, especially the scenes between him and Vlad, Maybe it's just because the whole straight boy father-son relationship arcs don't speak to me. Mm-hmm. But if they don't speak to me, then probably they didn't speak to much of the audience for this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that maybe you could... F- I agree, the speech where he sort of demoralizes them and tells them this isn't all pointless, you're not going to amount to anything. I think that's meant to be on a deer, right? That then our
0: characters all kind of surpass it and then like, have a wonderful final act where they prove that they're better than all of this.
1: Yeah. Well, so that speech has its place in the film, right? Mm. And so why not fold that into the dance teacher? And I can't recall the actor's name, but fabulous tap dancer who is like hard on them, initially Mm -hmm. has like one moment in act one. You don't see him again until act three when he performs with Mm -hmm. the kid. Why not just fold that speech into him? He's like a frustrated tap dancer. He's had it. He gives the speech. Then you can kind of cut Bert. You also need to solve for the original music that is discovered in Bert's room. Mm -hmm. So that I'm not sure how we would how we would make that uh, attached to the plot, because we need the original music. It's very important. Hey,
0: everybody. An ad read for you very quickly before we dive into the rest of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Ravensburger. Indulge in the timeless pleasure of assembling Ravensburger's extraordinary jigsaw puzzles. Ravensburger premium quality puzzles are crafted with meticulous attention to detail, bringing you an unparalleled puzzle-solving experience. With a rich heritage dating back to 1883, Ravensburger puzzles have become an integral part of families' lives across generations. Share the joy of puzzling with family and friends, knowing that your cherished puzzles will stand the test of time. Enjoy a mindful moment and immerse yourselves in a world of captivating colours, stunning imagery and intricate designs that will delight people of all ages, regardless of your preference or skill level. You can find a jigsaw puzzle that suits you perfectly thanks to the wide range of imagery themes and piece counts available you can start super super small and work your way up to over forty thousand pieces which is a little bit bananas to me if you're up for that challenge then why don't you go and shop Ravensburger on Amazon if you like today we are also still supported by Squarespace who can help you dear listener buy a domain and create a website We always talk about how much we love using Squarespace for our website creation, giving us access to analytics, the creation of email campaigns, and connecting all of your social media presence in one place. The design features really do make everything more accessible when you're building a website. You don't need to know any coding whatsoever, and you can get all of your beautiful text and images aligned brilliantly so that you can make your website look very, very, very sexy. We know you hear a lot of your favorite media and podcasts and stuff offering discount codes, but we'd really... Appreciate it if you considered using ours if you're putting together a website for like a campaign or a wedding or something along those lines. It would really help us out and keep the Queer Movie podcast going. So go to squarespace.com/queermovie and when you are ready to check out with your domain name and/or your website, you can use the offer code Queer Movie to save ten percentage points off of your first purchase. Remember to go to squarespace.com/queermovie now. Back to the show. so uh, i will just agree with you because i'm scared of the look you're giving me now
1: is now the time to ask you which of the original songs was your favorite jazza
0: if you give me a second just to bring up the wikipedia page
1: that would be really lovely um, how shall i see you through my tears oh that's Sent- probably my favorite century plant here's where i stand the song that your favorite character sings at the end once she finally un- oh. uh, unhinges her I, I i thought the moment was really good but
0: i thought it went on a bit long How will I? How shall I see you through my tears? I think is actually my favorite out of them.
1: Taste? Yeah, I I agree. But
0: Mm -hmm. most people. Oh thank God, I passed.
1: (laughs) Well, here's where I stand. Was the real runaway hit. We actually. So the summer that I went to Interlochen Musical Uh Theater Camp, we sang. Here's where I stand. Wow! Amazing. The whitest gospel chorus you've ever heard (laughs) in your entire life. But that was certainly, of everything from the film, that song transcended and was sung by show choirs across the nation for the next 20 years.
0: Amazing. So we enter into Boys, 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 Lads, 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 a montage of all of the girls kind of dotting after and trying to vie for Vlad's attention. We eventually end up with one of the characters who's like the bitch of the cast. She's the Regina George. Jill, who has now recruited... Anna Kendrick to be her essentially personal assistant. I really liked the subtle, it's not very subtle, the set dressing that they did here where Jill and Anna Kendrick are in a shared dorm together and Jill's stuff kind of like wraps around the room and then Anna's section is just her bed and then there is a cross and a picture of the virgin mary and that's the only decoration that she has and contrasted with all of the peacock plumes and all of the like the makeup station and all those kind of things i do love that vlad is invited into jill's room jill then tells anna you can leave us now and then they start making out on the bed couple of things teenage kissing always makes me uncomfortable second thing I think that nineties fashion was good, like it's objectively awful. Like it's too much. Lots of lip gloss, too much blush, really garish colours. But I think the nostalgia for it in me just really appreciated it.
1: Work. Mhm.
0: Thank you. I I do. We also see a little bit more fat phobia with Anna Kendrick telling one of the girls to not go for a particular part because you'll have to wear a mini skirt and a tube top. And we get the quote. I just wouldn't want my roles jiggling around in the spotlight.
1: Yeah, it's a bit much. It's It's, a bit much. It's a bit much. But again, like, this is stuff girls would really say to each other at these camps.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It is, unfortunately, that is real.
0: Yeah, we love a documentary. So, (laughs) yeah.
1: We would hope that, you know, since 2003, that doesn't happen as, you know, in the last 20 years, strides have been made. But Mm -hmm. at Uh, the time, as brutal as it sounds, like, it's kind of how it was. Did we skip the audition montage? Oh Yeah, go on. Anyway, I know. I just very quick call out. So, in addition to Anna Kendrick being personal assistant, which mm-hmm. is very Sharpay High School Musical three vibes, mm-hmm. we also have the audition montage, which was then copied by High School Musical and then Glee. I'm sure that these existed prior to Camp as well, but this exact format with the jump cuts between the singers sure, has yeah. been replicated to Helen back. What I think is funny about this version of this trope is that none of the kids are bad it's the humor comes from how seriously they are taking the material which is highly inappropriate for them Mm -hmm. whereas in further iterations it would be more how wacky and weird we'll give the kids props we'll jump cut to somebody who can't sing whatever Mm -hmm. this is purely just situational comedy which i think ultimately is funnier
0: Mm -hmm. we then go into the actual
1: is this the first performance that the crew are doing at camp yeah, this is Folly's Promises, Promises, the Turkey Lurkey time. Lucy
0: Goosey, Turkey Lurkey, <laughs> Christmas, Christmas, Clappy Clappy. It was a very impressive performance.
1: Oh my gosh, you think this is impressive? Look at the Tony's performance for the original. Oh my God, don't make me, don't no, give me homework. Techn- oh my God, her neck, is <laughs> it made of rubber? Is it? <laughs> Maybe, who knows? Surgically assisted. That I'm whole sure. cast had to get chiropractor because they were just completely wrecked. That's Michael Bennett is a total yeah tyrant, and we live. This entire medley, the Turkey Lurkey Time, I'm Still Here mashup, is such efficient storytelling, right? Because near the end of this exciting number, you are aware of these other two shows that are happening in parallel. And it, like, mm-hmm. bookends, for me, what is the end of act one? I'm not sure if that's how you broke that's it down. That's broadly
0: where mine is, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's just like, okay, these two weeks are over, they've done this crazy absurd display, and on to the next one. Mm-hmm. I just, I love how efficient it is in its visual storytelling. So
0: we have some more character exposition with Vlad and Michael. Vlad is practicing in the mirror and we start kind of having this, Michael, why don't you just call your parents and ask them to come? Like very simplistic lack of understanding of the circumstance that Michael is going back to or has back home. Michael's like, I don't want to live at home anymore. And Vlad's solution is just call your parents.
1: Yeah, this is bad. I co-sign wholeheartedly that this is not, this is sus. It's it's not good. Mm-hmm. We have a little bit of
0: more girls dotting after Vlad as well. We're in a canteen scene and Jill is being very rude to Ellen, who is the one of the girls in the dumpsters who Vlad kind of like took a little bit of a shining too and says that, oh, you know, you could be my project. I could turn you into a, kind of like a, a beautiful swan with just like a dash of makeup. Ellen is also be, like snapping back. She's not actually taking any of it, which I actually really enjoy. But Ellen ends up storming off. Vlad follows her, despite the fact that it seems like him and Jill are an item at the moment. And then Vlad dances with her and kisses her, Ellen, on the roof. So now Vlad is two for two for romantic interests. Oh, and they're a motor car. I don't like
1: him. His R&B grooves didn't capture your heart.
0: This dad... So I, I know how movies work. They aren't necessarily listening to the actual music when they're dancing. There was... It, this was such white folk rhythm. I'm sorry. That dancing on the... It, it was painful. Really horrific. We end up having a moment of really important commentary about opportunities for non-white actors in theatre with two black characters saying that they never have any black roles to play they come in dressed as Hasidic Jews lovely excellent we very good they say why don't you do a, a, a black like a black musical and this is coming from two black boys and then they decide to do dream girls and we cut to a white Effie doing and I'm telling you.
1: How did you feel about White Effie?
0: <laughs> I did find it really funny. <laughs> if I'm honest, like I, uh, the, that in particular did feel like a commentary of stuff that does happen in real life. And the fact that the director took that comment and then decided to do Dream Girls and then cast a white girl as the lead, like it's, it's terrible. But it, I think it's also,
1: it knowingly did that. And I was on the side of the movie when it did that. I'm so pleased to hear that, especially from somebody who's, you know, not had that experience firsthand that the joke reads. Because it is absolutely, I mean, I'm not going to name any specific youth theatres, but (laughs) I have seen all white ragtime. I've seen multiple productions of all white once on this island. Um, We've got what an all white West Side Story. (laughs) Lovely. Those abound.
0: Oh, we did all white, an all-white West Side story in rural England. Right. Because funnily enough, there aren't many Latinx people in rural England. Shocked. Mm-hmm, I
1: know. Again, I love that White Effie is not a bad singer. Like, yeah, she, it was a fantastic, fantastic performance. She belts it out. Right. She's actually the kid at the camp who would have gotten cast as the lead. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's so funny. <laughs>
0: so we end up, we, we have the uh, White Effie and then... We have like a slight sexual tension scene between Vlad and Michael. There's, there's too many of these scenes and I don't think I actually believe any of them. I don't actually notice, I don't feel any actual sexual tension between them. It all feels very robotic to me.
1: You're talking about the scene in the auditorium?
0: No, I'm talking about the scene when they are outside, he's skateboarding and then we see a little bit
1: of a oh, midriff. Okay. Did we address sorry, going back to Dream Girls for a moment, of course. the fact that these things happen and these theaters are doing all white website mm-hmm, story mm-hmm. is not okay. We're sure. not co signing yeah. or endorsing that. I would hope your audience is aware.
0: <laughs> but but uh, d- David liked it. David thinks they should do more of those kinds of productions.
1: Yeah, honestly, all commercial theater. What anyway, <laughs> I'm not even gonna make a joke about it. It's it's horrible, it is changing, but again, two thousand three, this is something that many theater directors were participating in, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you've gotta laugh. At some things in this life,
0: Mm -hmm. we have another sexual tension scene with Michael and Vlad, where we see a little bit of Vlad's midriff while he's skateboarding along. Hey, it's a good midriff, but also I'm struggling really to to believe any sexual tension that exists between the two, and especially how this comes to a head at the end of the movie. I feel like I'm meant to be a lot more invested in the outcome of this, and I just find I I. I wish Vlad were not in this movie. Actually, oh. I think yeah. But the worst scene is yet to come. Do you? What do you think about like the way that they're? It's not even. It's not a romance like the infatuation that Michael is meant to have with Vlad. How do you feel about how that's portrayed? Do you think it's effective?
1: It is. So my interpretation is we're seeing this from Michael's point of view. Mm-hmm. So the way again the way that Vlad is shot. He is this object of desire for Michael. And I do think that that reflects what somebody like Michael would be feeling at the time. Mm-hmm. This is the first scene where you start to see that Vlad is fully just baiting Michael and, you know, none of this is happening by accident. Mm-hmm. It was effective for me. Cool. And that's not just because this has high belting and it's about musical theater. I, I mean, this. <laughs> To give some background, I watched this during my like indie gay movie era where yeah. all of those kind of, they were some very crass, there was a range of quality, mm-hmm. but ultimately I think this hits on some similar themes as those where it's, you know, it's not totally PC, but this kid has a huge crush on this straight boy mm-hmm. and probably fantasizes about him. And that's the point of view that we're seeing in this scene.
0: And you are allowed to be wrong. Michael then calls his parents because he's gotten the part of Romeo in Romeo and Juliet, which I hear is a big part.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, cool. So he calls them up. He's like, oh, I miss you too. Great. This is all going to end really well. I can see it. Anna Kendrick is washing... We cut to Anna Kendrick washing the underwear of Jill. Totally normal. Totally normal. Jill is like, this is too much. You have to leave now, despite the fact that they're staying in the same room. And then this is where I kind of... I don't care how this happened, but she ends up being with the drunken director and the drunken director's like, I've seen you in the back. Like, you're really killing it. And this seems to give her kind of a kick up the ass and make her believe that she's actually the shit. She then poisons jill who has the lead in the next show and we have the performance where jill is doing the performance and pausing every line to vomit on stage which is hilarious. I, I do find, yes, this is funny. Objectively funny. And I think this is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Then Anna Kendrick comes in fully, like, in the same wig, in the same dress, like, with a martini glass ready to smash in her hand. And is like, who cares how we've gotten here? She's She can't do it. I'm here and I'm prepared. Let me go on. She goes on and then just takes over the
1: scene. And this is the reason that Anna Kendrick has a career. I mean, in singing Ladies Who Lunch, which again, yes. so inappropriate for, you know, anyway. I live, I think that them doing the whole showgirls thing. It, it always kind of reads for this kind of tone, this kind of audience. And yeah, Anna Kendrick does a great job. Mm-hmm. At the end,
0: she summons all of the people watching to rise in their seats. And she creates her own standing ovation. Everybody rise. Which I, I really enjoyed. The next performance is Romeo and Juliet. This is a this is a quick setup, quick summary with the story arc. Michael comes out on stage. We do have we've talked about Wirejaw Girl. What was her name? <laughs> Jenna. Jenna, yes, of course. We talk about Jenna and her her wire jaw and she's having to deliver lines with a wire jaw, and I don't like how funny I found this, but I did find this very funny, because she's talking through gritted
1: truth, and it's... With a beaming smile.
0: Because it's the first lines, really, that we see her actually perform, and she's at a theatre camp, and she... I, I, I hate how much I enjoyed it. <laughs> Michael comes on stage. Oh, his parents are there. I'm shocked. He's sad about it, and then he has a heart-to-heart with Vlad.
1: David okay you skip over the West Side Story monologue okay West Side okay, what happens why is this important okay Michael comes out as Romeo <laughs> oh and then he goes into something that isn't there he goes and, into something that isn't Romeo and Juliet that's all to, I know he goes into Maria's monologue at the end of West Side Story which is hilarious because West Side Story is based on Romeo and Juliet there are layers and I all mean, I all I knew is that he was doing something that wasn't Shakespeare I'm so glad that I can enlighten some of the humour, really. (laughs) Thank you. Hopefully, by the end of this conversation, you're going to be a huge fan of camp, the 2003 uh, seminal classic. Just you wait until I give this the rating. Then, obviously, Michael's very sad about it. Why does he go into
0: that monologue? Is there any other... He just freaks out. He just freaks out because his phone's on there. Cool. So we say Michael's very sad, obviously. Then, David, explain, explain this scene to me where Vlad talks about having OCD and how that's exactly the same as being gay.
1: It's the insert humanizing flaw here Mm. moment for his character. Mm -hmm. Um, This doesn't read for me. Mm -hmm. It's giving insert humanizing flaw for this character. Mm -hmm. And I, as somebody who does not have OCD and cannot speak for that community, I don't know how it operates as representation there has been, you know, there's a lot of specificity in how he speaks to it. It's more than just a soundbite. It's more mm-hmm. than him just labelling himself. He, you know, the writers attempt to describe his experience with OCD, which is more than nothing mm-hmm. in terms of effort. But yes, I don't see it as super relevant in this context. I didn't
0: appreciate the writers of this movie having... Michael is a character who has faced rejection from his family and society because of the fact that he is gay and gender non-conforming, does drag, and showing another character who we are shown throughout the movie to move through the world with a huge amount of privilege, and then for that character to say, oh, I've got an, an illness, I have a mental illness, so I know exactly what it's like to to be like you? Why don't you just kind of like, learn from me, gay? That's what I read from it. And I really, and I think this is why I dislike Vlad's character so much. And I could have just had this be, this should have been a movie about Michael. And just Michael. And like, the journey, I would have loved to have seen the journey that Michael went on from rejection in the outside world to the the joy and acceptance and the fabulous birthday party that they throw for him, where everybody is in drag and there's queens and kings in 2003.
1: Amazing. With not bad makeup, to be yeah, honest.
0: Yeah, yeah, really, really good with your expertise as a Davida <laughs> Loka. That means, means much. But also political can't talk either. So I think this is the root of the dislike and the, the dislike that I have for Vlad specifically as a character.
1: And you're just, like, for his inclusion in the story or you're just, like, for him as a character?
0: Sure, have a straight guy on the periphery who, like, maybe the girl... Like, maybe it could be... The, maybe the whole... Have his whole character be, is he gay or is he straight? And maybe he's a a non-gay-conforming gay character at the end. I think that would have been maybe more interesting. But I, I'm surprised that a movie that is so celebratory of this space chooses to frame queerness as something that is akin to OCD, I think that that's misguided at best and insulting at worst.
1: Yeah, that I mean, I'm not going to defend this scene. I think the whole OCD thing could be cut if we're gonna do Devil's Advocate. This is a kid like Vlad is making this comparison. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily the writers who are making this comparison. Mm-hmm. He's like doing his best to relate to Michael. He wants to maintain this connection. He wants to keep getting the attention as we will get to. Mm-hmm. And so this is his version. Michael buys it because Michael has the hots for him. I would hope the writers are not making that comparison or creating that equivalency between the two.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, they do have the line, I guess we're both freaks, which Vlad says, and then Michael says, you can take a pill for for yours, so that's... That's fine. But then we have the, ga- the gay drag party. So that's a really good thing. And just because this is where the party is, this is the party and its aftermath. We've entered into... It makes no sense for the, for the actual story, but this is where I start my final act. And you're just going to have to be okay with it, fabulous. David and listeners. We see... Is it during the drag party that the, the bigoted father figure comes in and says that you're never going to amount to anything? You're just going to work in service in the service industry?
1: I can't remember. It's around this
0: point where everyone's like really happy, feeling themselves, having a great time as a community, that Mr. Hanley comes in and tells all of the theatre kids, who are literal children, that they're never going to amount to anything, that you're all freaks, despite the fact that he is somebody who has spent their whole career be working in this industry. Everybody feels sad. Vlad then confronts him later on in... His dorm room, the father and the son figures, have a conflict. Mr. Henley walks out, but then Vlad discovers all of his unreleased music because he had this one hit and then never released anything else. It turns out it's because he was nervous about people not liking his stuff. Ooh, sad. Sympathy?
1: No, I don't care about his character at all. But the songs are fierce. (laughs) But the songs are fierce, apparently. Shout out to Michael Gore, wrote the music for Fame. (laughs) Do you know fame? I know I know fame. I'm going to live forever. Wrote that song. Carrie the musical, which you wouldn't know, but you should because okay. mm-hmm. it's everything. Yeah, Michael Gore's great.
0: So the theater kids all come together and sing one of his songs. A bigoted guy comes up, starts jamming with them on the piano, and then he changes his mind. And then there's a montage with a Snow Patrol song. And we're meant to like him now, I think is the conclusion of this. Yeah. erratic arc we're happy to see it wrap up cool awesome do you want to describe the the michael trying to be a heterosexual
1: part of the story this really doesn't get me i mean so he sleeps with d mm-hmm. uh in an attempt to i don't even know i he's don't know trying what to accomplish i don't know what he's trying to do why did he do this, this is, is he trying to impress vlad I guess get sorts, some sort of affirmation or, I don't know. But this is where, like many gay films of the time, it goes off the rails a little bit. Mm-hmm. And this was, I don't know how many of these gay trashy gay indie movies you watched in the early 2000s or for this podcast even. There's been a few. <laughs> There's this tendency in the third act for things to go a little off the rails and for characters to make choices that don't necessarily make sense. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely one of those instances. I don't get it at all. Mm-hmm. Vlad then doesn't believe
0: Michael and then runs off to find D and confirm with D. He then starts making out with D because, of course, we need a three for three here. Then Ellen comes in because apparently he's seeing Ellen. Now. He is seeing Ellen now because they danced awkwardly on the top of that roof earlier. Ellen comes in and is like, you're a dick. And there we go. Yeah, this I just might is Vlad's a slut. Vlad is, Vlad's a slut and just wants to be loved, bless him. Because he has OCD? Question mark. So, this is now actually where actually starts. Uh, it is what I'm calling the show in its aftermath. Okay. So, Lockjaw Girl meets her parents because they've come to <laughs> to see the final performance. And we get a really funny line because her dad says, Oh, you look exactly the same. It's like you've not lost any weight. Ha ha ha. Stephen Sondheim arrives. That's nice. Anna and Jill have kind of like a final moment where Anna is really paranoid that Jill is going to now throw the pearls under her shoes, metaphorically. But actually, it's Anna who once again has sabotaged the makeup of Jill. They were, I assume, going to be the first and the second for the main role. And so Lockjaw Girl comes on and does the final belter. Yeah,
1: that's kind of what happens. <laughs> So, Tiffany Taylor gives an unironically impressive performance of Here's Where I Stand, mm-hmm. where she wins it. Well, she takes off the wires of her, you know, did you get the, the plot point where they, with the pliers, they remove the. So she's no longer yes, yeah. jaw
0: wired shut. Yeah. She's done no preparation. She's done no rehearsals, but still does a really fantastic job. Of course, because
1: natural ability. What? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. her parents are won over through the spirit because, of the song because all she needed to be was superhuman. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. We
0: get so we get this very long performance that I think was fine. <laughs> you
1: doubling down on a hating. Here's where I stand. I just thought it was. fine just it dragged. I just thought it dragged a little bit. I think she's very impressive. So choruses repeated more in the '90s and the early 2000s. Spotify didn't exist. We didn't have TikTok.
0: Oh no, that is why.
1: <laughs> they said let's repeat these choruses. You oh, no, music that was is, doing it.
0: That is that is why because because Carly Rae Jepsen's album doesn't have a song over 3 minutes. That's sad.
1: Um there's storytelling. She does a false exit, the guy brings her back forwards, and then she does more high ad-libs. She just keeps go F after F after F. <laughs> <laughs> so we now get
0: it's the end. Kinda. Um, We get a final scene with Vlad and Michael, where Vlad (laughs) strips down naked. Strips down naked, goes in the water so that he's nice and shiny, Mm -hmm. and is like, "Don't you, don't you want me, baby?" Doesn't go into an edition of that song. Missed opportunity, and is like, "I just want the attention and to be loved." And it's like, "Okay, great, good on Michael for not." Succumbing yep. to that, and then Ellen turns up, and then there's some kind of closure, and then they go in the water together, and then it's the and then it's the end.
1: So first, Vlad stripping down naked, getting wet, coming back to Michael. That's like full blown, one hundred percent gay teen fantasy. It, yeah. Okay. And I do give Michael's character a lot of credit for not falling for it. Now, do you? Th- Vlad's behavior at this point is cartoonishly suspect. Mm-hmm. Looking at it through today's lens, do you think that the handling of Vlad is by erasure?
0: No. I think it, uh, no, I don't I don't think that Vlad is queer. Uh, even by modern standards, maybe. Oh, am I just saying that because I don't like him? There's allowed to be queer people that I don't like. I think you make an interesting provocation, but I'm not yet ready to agree.
1: work. I, I don't know how I feel about it, but mm-hmm. it was a question that came to mind because we have this, you know, although the actor is, I think, 22, mm-hmm. the character is in high school, still mm-hmm. figuring stuff out. And for some queer people, I would imagine, I just like the attention from everybody could be the beginning of- Oh, David, you are smart. A journey That's for him. That's really, that is, an, that is interesting.
0: That is interesting. Maybe. I still really dislike him though.
1: I mean, but that's fine. You're allowed to dislike mm-hmm. Vlad.
0: I kind of suggested that, right? Like if the there were this B plot of is he is he gay, is he straight? And then he ends up being bi. Like I think that could be that could have been quite interesting but obviously bi people didn't exist to, 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 until 2008 so <laughs> it wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked it just wouldn't have worked yeah there's then bad. a musical number is this musical number the closing yes, thing yes this is the last
1: song it's very cute everybody gets solos mm-hmm. it's wonderful yeah it has levels i like that they give everybody in the ensemble an opportunity that it's was like- nice
0: it was like everybody comes out and does like a little pose yeah. it is like a, a closing what, what are they called? Ovation?
1: Like a closing number. Oh, closing... like an encore.
0: Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a little encore. You got the um, little bows.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cute. Yeah. Did you stay for the post credit scene or you were like, all right. I didn't
0: understand it. I didn't get it. Okay, so. <laughs> is it uh, like, who's who's it meant to, who is it? Who is it, but meant... I don't understand. There is a post credit scene. Explain what happens to anybody. actress's name it.
1: is Anna Kendrick. Um... Is it Anna Kendrick? <laughs> yeah, in the gray wig. I did not. She's playing Martha. So the play is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Again, these are characters in their, like, I would say 50s, uh, you know, 40s or 50s, uh, who hate each other, like, loathe each other. It's a Mm -hmm. wonderful play. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, a husband and wife who you just watch them be monsters to each other for two hours, and it's Mm -hmm. fantastic. Lovely. Um, So the opening line is, what a dump. Oh,
0: yes. Oh, yes, I do remember this. But then there's another post-credits scene. Post-credits,
1: where the Barbara, yeah, the Babs drag queen, which I think...
0: Is Is it Barbara Streisand... Is it Barbara Shaw? It's meant to be, yes. Okay, okay. I got a thing.
1: (laughs) Good, (laughs) great. Yeah, I think that was completely unrelated and they just wanted to give that actor a a chance to do his Barbara impression. Mm -hmm. I do love that they (laughs) they did Annie and he had to play Andy. Yeah. Which, honestly, again, not far from the truth. Mm -hmm. And that's that. Mm -hmm. That's the movie. So now
0: we go into our very special queer movie podcast ratings. I'm really bad at explaining how this works. So we use the six bar David look at me please. We use the six bar rainbow flag. So the score is out of six. We also assign a meaning, the general meaning that is understood to be of each of those colours. So you assign both a number and which colors are included in that number. So for example, oh, I give this two, two bars, red for
1: life and purple for spirit, for example. Is that clear? It is clear the meaning of the score. Are we giving it a quality rating and then we're assigning colors to fill that amount of points? Correct, okay. yes, yes. I think so. Having guests to do this with me has
0: made it, made me realize that me and Rowan haven't really thought about what this rating system actually means and that we just kind of like fluffily do it. Um, it's great. I uh, love uh, it. Sure. Uh, it's very stressful trying to explain it to other people though. How many bars would you give this first off? Four. Four?
1: I read things based on my personal experience. And for me, yeah, I, I can't. Ex- I can't expect you to do anything else. There's um, no objective. I'm not going to take a neutral approach and uh, evaluate camp, the theater camp, musical theater camp, film <laughs> on a on a neutral. There's just no way. So my experience with this is it's a four out of six. Okay,
0: I'm I'm somewhere between a two and a three, and I think just to balance out your ridiculous rating of four out of six, I'm going to have to give it a two. I, I think it was really interesting watching this because it's, it's clearly incredibly influential and was foundational to a couple of really great careers. There was Anna Kendrick and the guy who plays Michael, Robin de Jesus, also went on to be a great kind of like stage star and, and film star. But I, I don't think it's aged well and I struggled to really connect with any of the characters and it's called Camp, And I actually think I wanted more camp. I wanted more Anna Anna Kendricks in this. And I think it only had one. Mm. And so more of those would have been good. More ridiculousness like that. I really appreciate you going through and giving me some like cultural context of what all of these fucking things (laughs) (laughs) meant that I apparently completely missed. But yeah, I'm only gonna give it a two. What colors would you give it out of four? So the colors are red means life, orange means healing, yellow is sun or sunlight green is nature blue is harmony and purple is spirit
1: that's great all right so certainly harmony as oh, i've okay, mentioned so. mm-hmm. the music i think transcends you can think what you want the quality of the film but as far as those few original numbers both from a songwriting and a performance perspective they really harmonize
0: um. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb
1: <laughs> spirit They're certainly a spirited bunch. And I think that you can really tell the creative team was passionate. They poured a lot of their heart and soul Mm -hmm. into this. Would it Um, help if I told you that red also means sex? Sure. Then red would be the third color. Mm -hmm. It says life here, which also, you know. Sex. Yeah, you know, well, sex sometimes leads to life. Yeah. This is definitely a sexually charged film. Horny teens. Yeah. Mm. And then lastly, oh boy... I think sun. This is a you know, it's on the nose, but this is a summer camp.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. We
1: also have let the sun shine in, where you know Sasha Allen went on to have a prolific experience in hair, where mm-hmm. she laid the foundation for future revivals and you know. nodding and smiling.
0: Sure, I'm gonna give it. Harmony was too good for me to not copy, so I am gonna give it harmony, and then I think I'm gonna give it. I'm going to give it red for sex, so I'm giving it red and blue for my two things. Any final thoughts, David Levitz? Failed YouTuber and actor?
1: (laughs) (laughs) This has just been such a joy, revisiting this film with you. And yeah, it was really wonderful to to be on and discuss it and hear your point of view on all of the wonderful characters, including Vlad, our favourite fuckboy. Our
0: favourite fuckboy. Hey, listener, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy these episodes, we ask that you consider supporting us on Patreon. As a patron, you can join our Queer Movie Club, where we do watch-alongs on our Discord each month, Um, but that is just the bare minimum. We also, at higher levels, provide uh, lists of movie recommendations and a monthly newsletter with curation of all of the gay shit that we find on the internet. It's super fun. Thank you once again to Jennifer and Toby for supporting us on the highest tier on Patreon. You two, along with the rest of our supporters, really are making this viable for us because it ain't cheap to run. Make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you're notified for our next episode. David,
1: do you want people to follow you on the internet? Yeah, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, Um, where can they find you?
1: My Instagram is dnlevitz.
0: Mm -hmm. Or youtube.com slash circle no (laughs) star.
1: Oh no. If you want to see some old videos that Jazza and I have done together through the years. They're still public? Oh yes. Great. Available for anybody to
0: view. (laughs) We have been Jazza John. And David Levitt. And we are edited by Sparkles. Thank you so much, my Dough Lens. You'll hear us very soon. You say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Toodaloo. <laughs>